0: I just wanted to refer back to last night's message uh, really quickly before we go into this morning's. Uh, there, there were a couple thoughts that uh, I skipped for the sake of time and uh, just, uh, you know, I think it slipped as well from my mind. Uh, one thing I want you guys to remember, you know, the, uh, the whole spiel, the whole, uh, I don't know how much you remember last night, but we talked about this omniscient God wondering, this omniscient God inquiring. Uh, humbling himself, showing the first sinner, uh, the uh, original sinner, Adam, um, the federal headship uh, of, of uh, our ancestry, uh, mercy and grace, by asking, where are you? Who told you you were naked? Uh, I want you guys to understand that as you continue to grow in grace and become more like Christ, um, that as you continue to learn how to repent, According to the gospel and not according to culture or according to false righteousness or shame. Uh, That, you know, uh, because God is omniscient and He knows all things, uh, healing and redemption, according to last night's text in Genesis 3, uh, healing and redemption um, comes. Healing and redemption is received when we tell God from the heart what He already knows about us. Does that make sense? Healing and redemption appears and becomes real in your life when you tell God from the heart what he already knows about you. God knew Adam had lost his righteousness. God knew that Adam had sinned. God knew of Adam's disobedience. He knew all things. But he inquires so that Adam would find healing and redemption. So when we confess our sins, uh, there's an audacious part of us that says, well, God already knows what I did. What's the point of confessing? The enemy will taunt you. Satan will ridicule you and say, what is the point? Right. But uh, I would encourage you to continue to expose yourself. Uh, to let the light of, of Christ shine upon you. And so, uh, yeah, healing and redemption is telling God from the heart what He already knows about you, what He already knows to be true. So I want you guys to keep that in mind from last night's retreat. The second, I mean, last night's sermon, the first night of the retreat. Uh, the second thing I want to uh, tell you very quickly is a uh, practical steps um, or application. Uh, one thing, I, one thing I read many years ago was, uh, when you cover your sin, God will expose it. Okay? But if you expose your sin, God will cover it. It sounds like 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 a little bit, right? Cover your sin, God will expose it. Expose your sin, God will cover it. Deny your sin, God will deny you life. Uh, admit your sin, and God will accept you. Cover your sin, God will expose you. Expose your sin, God will cover it. Deny your sin, God will deny you life. Admit your sin, God will accept you. Okay? Of course, it's all according to the work of Christ. Um, so we are saved by works, but not our works. We are saved by the work of Jesus Christ. And that's a good segue to today's passage. We're going to look at Luke chapter... Luke chapter 18, the Gospel of Luke, if you could turn there with me, the Gospel of Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And I know in your program or your, uh, your, your uh, retreat booklet, um, it, that uh, that's tomorrow's. Morning, ser- morning sermon but I decided to switch it to today's because I thought it would be a better segue uh, from last night's sermon or segue into um, this morning from last night's sermon. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 verse 9 through 14 because I want to continue to uh, I want to continue to show you uh, the awesome the awesome nature an incredible uh, work uh, of the righteousness of Christ. Um, What it is, what it isn't. Uh, And I know all of us in here are different. Some of us are uh, more artistic. Some of us are more didactic. Some of us need illustrations. Some of us need principles. We're all different. So I'm just trying to show you different texts and different passages to show you uh, the beauty of Christ. Um, the righteousness of Christ, um, how much we need Christ. So look at Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14 with me. Uh, it is a parable, <coughs> and uh, I think Jesus spoke in parables, um, namely because he would say things like, He who has hear, ears, let him hear. He who has eyes, let him see. Right? And so it's like everybody has literal ears and literal eyes, most likely in this audience, but not everybody heard that. Okay, and if you if you're if you're uh, a musician today, you, you may understand that type of uh, that that verbiage or uh, that that statement of uh, did you hear that? Of course, like everybody hears notes, everybody hears melody, everybody hears harmony, but not everybody heard it, right? And I, I'm a hip hop head, so um, you know if you don't like hip hop, it all sounds the same. It does. It all sounds the same. And you know what I say back to them? You ain't hear that. <laughs> you ain't hear that, right? Because it just all sounds the same, right? If you, unless you enjoy hip-hop. Same with my wife. You know, she likes classical, classical music. Um, she's a jazz vocalist. And so she'd be like, baby, wasn't that resplendent? Like, wasn't that, wasn't that divine? And I'm like, alright." <laughs> and she's like, you don't know, right? You don't know, right? You ain't hear that. And so Jesus spoke in parables because not everybody heard that. Of course, everybody could regurgitate it. Everybody can tell you the plot and the protagonist and the antagonist and the conflict, conflict resolution, but not everybody heard that. Just like when Pastor Wujin preaches on Sunday, right? He preaches the sermon and not everybody heard that, right? Of course, everybody in in the same room at the same time hearing the same sermon, but not everybody heard heard that. There's only one kind of person that hears it. And it is a sinner. It is a sinner. There's a reason why we don't hear the message. Because we do not believe that we are desperate for his righteous presence and his living word. So Jesus spoke in parables to A particular kind of people, oftentimes, um, he spoke in parables to Pharisees, church folk. I'm not saying he didn't speak in parables to sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. Oh yeah, they were in the audience too, but who did he target? Who, Who was the primary audience of his parables? It was people like us, especially people like me. So that's my warning to you. Pay attention to the words of Christ this morning, especially if you have been churched. Not that if you're, you're not a worse sinner if you've been churched, but you can be numb to the gospel. Right? So listen to what Jesus says. Verse 9 He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. There it is. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And treated others with contempt. Do you see the natural overflow or byproduct of self-righteousness? You mistreat others. That is the fruit of self-righteousness. You look at all others. You're, you're so busy looking down on people, you don't have time to look up at God. See? He, you'll see this in the parable. Verse 10. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. A tax collector is just some cat. Um, he's a Jew, a Jewish cat, and uh, a Jew stealing uh, from Jews. That's what he is. He's just ripping and running, working for the emperor, the Roman emperor, and um, he's a he's a disgrace. He's a traitor. Okay, so so he's he should be the antagonist or the villain in the story but the audience is um, blindsided watch this verse 11 the Pharisee should be the good guy right but he prays like this in verse 11 the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus God I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector man threw him under the bus right I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Um, that's what you call a humble brag, <laughs> right? Uh, verse 12. Um, so he, 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 um, his prayer is over. And verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off. Notice the difference. The Pharisee is standing by himself, the text says, but the tax collector is standing far off. And you know, when I first came to church, you know where I sat? In the back, <laughs> far off, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can identify with the tax collector, uh, standing far off, uh, it says, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, perhaps the shortest prayer in the Bible, right, um, gotta be one of the shortest, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So we snap back to reality in verse 14, and Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the latter man, went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I want you guys to understand that the audience, the people that heard this parable did not clap, did not say encore, Jesus, encore. They were disgusted. They were appalled. They were annoyed and aggravated by this story. You know why Jesus spoke in parables, furthermore? Because he wants you to understand, you know, my father, he's not like that. Whatever you think he is, he's not like that. And neither are you. Whatever you think you are, you're not like that either. You're not that great, or you're not such a great sinner. You're not so bad that you are out of the grasp of God. You are outside the reach of God. See, so Jesus spoke in parables for myriad of reasons, but these are some of the things that I see. Right? Um, you know, I always get a laugh when I, read par- when I read parables and I think about how the audience reacted, and sometimes I imagine, what if the audience was uh, Korean? <laughs> right? What if the audience was Korean? And uh, I, I imagine when Jesus told this parable to like church Korean folk, um, they would hear these stories and that you know Jesus uh, exalts the sinner, celebrates the sinner, um, loves the sinner, the one sinner who repents more than 99 righteous people who need no repentance. And I imagine the Korean audience being like, oh! Um, 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 uh. (laughs) And I think that's how, if we really think about it, we react too. We react too. Uh, In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 5 and 6, you don't have to turn there, uh, but this is what the Word of God says to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 64, verse 5 and 6. It says, You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. And in our sins we have been a long time, I'm sorry, in our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind, take us away. The prophet Isaiah says all of our righteous deeds are like polluted garment, are like used toilet tissue. All of our righteous deeds, apart from his foundational righteousness, from his uh, apart from his grace. God despises, he rejects, he will not accept it. You know, uh, I know that we, if you've been church long enough, you may know this, uh, you may know definitions, you may understand the theology behind this, but, you know, uh, outside of true righteousness of Christ, there is unrighteousness that we can narrow down to adulterer, right? Look at the prayer of the Pharisee. Uh, the adulterer, extortioner, I don't know, pedophile, terrorist, murderer, okay? So uh, unrighteousness is salient. It's protruding. It is overt. Unrighteousness just sticks out like a sore thumb. You can spot unrighteousness a million miles away, but self-righteousness is like a ninja. It's a ninja. I guess I'm allowed to say that because I'm Asian, right? (laughs) It is like a ninja. It sneaks up on you, like right? <laughs> and it, and it, but it, it kills you nonetheless. right? Like like, yeah, you could go maul, you can get mauled by a lion, or somebody can poison your drink. You die nonetheless, right? And maybe unrighteousness feels more vicious, right? Like, oh my goodness, you know? He got, uh, you got, you got beat down and, and, and jacked up. Um, but if you die while you were sleeping, it's like, oh, he, he died a peaceful death. She died a peaceful death. And that's like how self-righteousness works. So whether you're driving 100 miles per hour or you're driving uh, 50 or 40, you get into a massive car accident, you will perish. You know, according to the gospel and according to this parable, Jesus is showing us the nefarious yet sneaky nature of self-righteousness in this Pharisee. The problem with the Pharisee is not that he is righteous or that he is doing righteousness, righteous works. The problem is he trusts in it. He is trusting In something outside of God. He is trusting in himself. He's even trusting in what God is doing in his life rather than God himself. It's very sneaky. Um, Jesus is showing us that what separates us from God is sin, right? Everybody knows that. What separates me from God? You know the four spiritual laws, okay? What separates me from God is sin, right? Everybody knows that. But Jesus is saying something really, really scary here, nightmarish. He's saying, what really and genuinely separates us from God is not so much our unrighteousness, it is our damnable good works. The biggest barrier between me and God, especially as a pastor, especially as a vocational minister, it is my damnable good works. It, it, it is it is my self-righteousness. Um, let me try to describe self-righteousness in two silly but hopefully poignant ways. All right. First one is uh, about this guy named Rudolph. You know, he comes around every December. You've heard of him, right? <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. All right. And, you know, Genie already gave you guys a little exercise, so I won't make you sing this song, okay? But usually I make people sing this song, unless you really want to, but I'll sing this song for you, right? Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, I'll sing it really fast. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, had a very shiny nose. (laughs) Okay, I'm just kidding. No, you got to play along, okay? Right? And then, what's the next line? And if you ever saw it, you would even say, what? (laughs) Yeah, I know that person too, what? Right, my man, my man, right? And you made my day, and if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows like a light bulb, right? When all the other reindeer, how's it go? No, I'm sorry. The next line is, uh, all the other reindeers used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph playing any reindeer games on righteousness. He's unrighteous. He's like Wangta, right? And then we keep going into the story. And it's like, then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, ho, 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 (laughs) Rudolph with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? What's the next line? Then all the reindeers loved him and shouted out with glee, yippee. What's the next line? I'm going blank. Come on, baby, help me out. Yippee, Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, you'll go down in history. Okay, thank you, brother. That's grace. (laughs) That was just, if you want a definition of grace, that was it. That was it, right? Um, But look, guys, this is my point. Rudolph was unrighteous because of his nose. But then he became righteous because of his nose. It was always about his nose. It defined him. Everyone sings that song with glee and gladness and joy. But it is a tragic song. It is a very... Melancholic song in my, in my eyes. Because the saddest line in the song is when uh, after Santa says, with, uh, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my slate tonight? The next line, then all the reindeers loved him. Then they only loved him. They hated him because of his nose, and then they hailed him because of his nose. That's unrighteousness and self-righteousness in a nutshell. You know, in some environments, you are righteous because you're unrighteous. Go to jail, and you'll find out. Go to jail, and you are righteous because the more unrighteous you are, the greater righteousness (laughs) you you will wield. And then you go to the suburbs or a different environment. And it's the opposite. Just depends where you are, right? Depends where you are. And so you see this unrighteousness and self righteousness. But you know, to God, it looks the same. I know it looks different to us, and we categorize it like, oh, you know, all sin is sin, or, you know, things like that. That's serious sin, and this is lighter sin. This is white collar sin, blue collar sin. Middle school sin, college sin. But the truth is, there is no middle school hell and college hell. <laughs> Everybody goes to hell. So whether you're unrighteous or self-righteous, you go to the same place. Another uh, illustration I want to help you understand self-righteousness and unrighteousness um, is uh, it, it is TMI, too much information, but bear with me. It is number two. When you go, um, mm, right? When you, when, you go, when you go poo, right? When you go dong, right? So when I, when, you know, I have been smelling my own, number two, for quite some time now, right? Uh, I suppose you too, right? We have been smelling our own. So we're comfortable in it now. We are. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't cause a grimace or a scowl in the morning. You know, I'm quite comfortable sitting in my own poop, right? I'm okay with it, you know? It's like, you know, it's like, yeah. Now, there are occasional days where I am startled. <laughs> and, and I'm flabbergasted. Um, right? there, there, are, there are instances where I'm like, my God, right? right? There are, okay, okay. But, for the most part, I, I, I'm comfortable. Right? I'm at home. However, there's been occasions where uh, I have to use a public restroom. And so I walk into the public restroom, and lo and behold, somebody went poo before me. Somebody went poo right before I, I'm ready to go poo. And so I have to smell theirs. <laughs> and I am so angry. I have righteous indignation, right? It's like Hulk smash, right? I'm angry, because, oh my God, this smells so bad, right? Like, what what crawled up, right? What died, right? (laughs) Guys, that's self-righteousness. I act like my poop don't stink. Your poop stinks. I don't want to smell your poop. Oh, if your poop smells like mine, we're okay. No, seriously. If your sins are similar to my sins, we're good. But if your sins are different, if your sins are outside of my solar system of sins, then I hate you. You are beneath consideration. And that is the natural outworking of self-righteousness, as Jesus says, or Jesus, um, as the Word of God shows us in verses 9 and 10. That those who trust in themselves that they are righteous, treat others with contempt. Uh, Without the imago Dei. uh, Or you look at people as if they are not made in the image and likeness of God. So what is the main idea of today's message, as I, you know, as I hopefully amused you, um, even though it is a grave danger to be self-righteous or unrighteous, uh, but what is the main idea from this text? Um, turn from unrighteousness and self-righteousness, um, and look at the righteousness of God. Let me say that one more time. Turn from my unrighteousness and self-righteousness. If you want to replace those words, you can replace it with uh, turn from my morality and self-sufficiency. Turn from my moral record and my self-sufficiency. Turn from my unrighteousness and my self-righteousness and turn to the righteousness of God, Jesus Christ. Because I, I, want, I want to show you guys something uh, about church life. You know, we're about that life, All right? A lot of people are not really Christian, even though they profess Christ. And here's why. I'll show you. Right? We think that the gospel is about turning from unrighteousness, and we forget self-righteousness. We ignore self-righteousness. So, you hear a lot of testimony. What do you hear? I used to be a thug, but now I'm a believer, right? I used to be a womanizer, but now I'm a worshiper. I used to be something unrighteous, and now I'm righteous. But see, I'm not saying that's totally incorrect, but this is what happens in a lot of churches. So, we repent of our unrighteousness, right? Like, I watched... Too much porn, I cuss too much, I drink too much, I, um, yeah, I'm just a hedonist, right? So we repent from those things, the sensualities of life. And we we don't turn to Christ. We don't go 180. We only go 90 degrees. We become moralist. We don't become Christian. We become moral. We turn 90 degrees. We don't turn 180 and turn to the righteousness of Christ. You know, um, Charles H. Spurden, uh, he's with the Lord now, he's he's an old-time preacher. He said that morality will keep you out of jail, but only the blood of Christ will keep you out of hell. Morality will keep you out of jail, indeed, but only the blood of Christ will keep you out of hell. Will get you out of hell and a lot of people we turn 90 degrees and we stay right there we become moralists, but we do not become born again we do not become righteous in Jesus Christ my righteousness is not Christ my righteousness is my sexual record my academic record my marital record etc but what God is calling us today in this parable is that not only must we repent of our unrighteousness, we must repent of our self-righteousness. Because frankly, the only reason I helped homeless people when I was not a Christian is because self-promotion, self-glorification. You think Oprah gives stuff away because she loves the Lord? Oprah don't give stuff away because she loves the Lord. She gives stuff away because she wants to be exalted. You know you know, when celebrities do all this um, charity work? It's about self-promotion. It's about, to re- it's about relieving guilt, alleviating shame. That's why I did anything good when I was not a Christian. And so I had to repent of my un- unrighteousness and my self-righteousness, the fact that everything I did, everything I've done, I've done for the wrong reason. I repent of that, too. And I don't just stay at 90 degrees, but I turn 180, and I turn to the work and person of Christ. So it's about looking away today, guys. It's about looking away. Looking away. No matter how devious, no matter how defiant you have been, look away from that and look to Christ. Take one glance at your sin and take 10 gazes at Christ. That's how you get saved. That's how you experience your righteousness in Christ. The true righteousness, right? Right? So it's it's about looking away, turning away, and resting in the mercy of God. Um, I used three D's this morning. We already covered one, uh, so we don't really have to cover it too much. But the first D... Uh, in this passage in Chinese alliteration to help you remember or help you write notes. The first D is the deception of self-righteousness. And I think we already covered that. The deception of self-righteousness. Secondly, um, the devastation of self-righteousness. And thirdly, and lastly, uh, depending on God's righteousness. And we already covered the Deception of self-righteousness, right? I, I shared a story about me walking into the uh, public restaurant, right? I'm deceived in that moment, right? Because I act like my, uh, don't stink, right? But it does, right? We're deceived. We're into thinking, oh, you know what? You know, I sin, but I don't, I, I don't sin like that. And, you know, think about, I don't know how you feel about the uh, homosexual community, the LGBT community, But we're uncomfortable around. I'm not saying that uh, God is pleased with that community. Don't get it twisted. But heterosexual sin, according to scripture, is still immorality. Right? It's still immorality. Premarital sex is still abhorrent. It's an abomination to the Lord. It still is. But we act like that sin is okay. But oh, because theirs is... Same sex attraction, it is somehow unpardonable or unforgivable, right? That's deception. What kind of gospel are we preaching when we think that because someone has same sex orientation, they're disqualified from Christ? They're disqualified or outside. Of his graft. There's deception of self-righteousness. You could hear it in the prayer of the Pharisee. He believed that this tax collector, because he is a Jew stealing from Jews, is hopeless. It's unreachable. It's a waste of time. I mean, he didn't pray for the tax collector, did he? He prayed about himself. He didn't pray for this tax collector, because he's beneath consideration. There is a deception of self-righteousness uh, that was uh, that was that 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 really was revealed in, um, in in one anecdote I read many years ago, a Time magazine. Y'all know Time Magazine, right? I hope you still (laughs) read magazines. (laughs) Um, Time Magazine, many years ago, had a cover story, and the cover story uh, said, what is wrong with the world? That was the cover story. And these bold letters, what is wrong with the world, right? And there's a British writer named G.K. Chesterton, and he wrote the editor. And he said, dear editor of Time Magazine, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Undoubtedly the shortest letter written to Time magazine. What is wrong with the world, dear editor? I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. What is the point of that illustration? The deception of self-righteousness looks like this. What is wrong with the world? Those people. Them people. When we heard last night that when sin entered the world, mayhem, disorder, havoc, hate, murder, began to move around in the heart of Adam. The Garden of Eden looked the same, but Adam's heart did not. What is wrong with this world? The Gospel says we are, I am. Hey, I'm married now, and I'm realizing more and more that my biggest problem is my failure to admit that I am the biggest problem. My biggest problem in life is my failure to admit that I am the problem. I keep blaming my wife. I keep blaming uh, African-American culture. I keep blaming um, my culture. I'm the problem. Look at the prayer of the tax collector. He didn't say, man, I was conditioned. Right? I was conditioned. Um, I have ADHD, and you know, he, he didn't go into it. I'm not saying those things aren't real. I'm just saying he didn't use those things as a cover-up. He said, I'm not deceived. I know thyself. I'm a sinner. And God's wrath is upon me. Oh Lord, would you have mercy? Do not pour your wrath on me. See, there's a deception of self-righteousness. Right? The deception. Uh, uh, listen to what Stephen Davy, uh, a Christian author, said. He said, the most crippling symptom of self-righteousness is the ability to leave the presence of God unchanged. Listen again. The most crippling symptom of unrighteousness I'm sorry, the most crippling symptom of self-righteousness is the ability to leave the presence of God unchanged. And this leads me to my second D, the, the devastation of self-righteousness. This Pharisee prayed, he prayed to the Most High God. He prayed to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He was in the temple, the house of God. And God, Jesus Christ, shows us, conveys to us in this parable that he left the presence of God unchanged. How many times have I done my quiet time and left unchanged? I'm not saying it was a waste of time, but that just means it really wasn't about God. It was about me. It was about me and this checklist. It was about me and this legalistic relationship. I'm bastardizing the grace of God. I'm separating from the giver. I'm taking the gift, but I don't want the giver, right? I'm bastardizing the blessing. This is the devastation of self righteousness. It's on our lives. We become bitter. We become uh, envious. We become a hater. Because this dude's a hater, right? He is a hater. He's not a lover. He is a hater. There's nothing wrong with critique, but it should be constructive. Right? There's nothing wrong with criticism, but it ought to be constructive. It ought to build you up. It ought to build one another up. It's called edification. Right? But he tears people down. That is the devastation of self-righteousness. First of all, you tear yourself down. You beat yourself up. You pummel yourself. You, you, you think you're holy, but you're just haughty. You take yourself too seriously. My wife is always showing me that. Baby, you ain't that important. <laughs> Nobody notices, okay? It's okay. It's okay. Nobody going to notice if you don't show up. Nobody going to notice if you leave early. You ain't that important. Self-righteousness. Self-importance, right? Uh, one pastor taught me that uh, uh, what is pride? What is pride? And he said it is God-forgetfulness. What is pride? God-forgetfulness. And you can have pride in prayer. You can have pride on the pulpit. You can have pride in any given position or circumstance. What is pride? God-forgetfulness. So what is humility? What is humility? According to this text, especially in the nature of the tax collector. What is humility? It is self-forgiveness. It is self-forgiveness. It is God remembrance and self-forgiveness. This is humility. And when you are consumed and you are self-righteous and you are feeling yourself, as the kids say, there is Devastation in your life. And guess what? Jesus says you can tell a tree buys fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit and a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. You know what happens when you're self-righteous? You treat others with contempt, right? You devastate others. Because you know what? Whatever is deepest within you, you spread the most. Whatever is deepest within you, If it's anxiety, if if it is uh, angst, if it is panic or pressure, that's, you will spread the most. Does that make sense? But if it is mercy, if it is grace, if it is kindness, if it is self-control, if it is joy and gentleness, that you will spread. What did the Pharisees spread? Contempt. Malice. You know, the first time I came to church, it was probably the most unwelcoming place on the face of the earth. Because I had baggy jeans on, I had my hat to the side. And the parents told their kids, don't play with him. Devastated me. But by the grace of God, I kept coming back to church. I would invite my friends to church after I got saved. I don't come from a Christian family. My mom and dad are not Christian. My brother is not Christian. I'm the only Christian in my family. And so I would like, try to win people to Christ, and I would bring my friends to Christ. And they never wanted to come back. You know, so many religious people or spiritual people say, you know, I like your Christ. I like your Jesus. I just don't like his followers. I don't don't care for his followers. I like the God of the Bible. I like the Jesus of the New Testament. But, you know, I don't like the people of 2018 in the church. I want you guys to understand what your self-righteousness is doing to your community. Do you know why racism exists? Do you know why sexism exists? Why political uh, enmity exists? I'll tell you why. Because the world celebrates a righteousness that does not come from Christ. We celebrate a righteousness that comes from culture We celebrate a righteousness that's come from Olympics, from World Cup. We celebrate a righteousness that comes from pedigree. When is the last time you have celebrated the righteousness of God and not your country? I still can't use iPhone because I love Samsung. (laughs) Because I'm Korean. I feel like a traitor. I cannot use iPhone. I am Korean. Just made in Korea. I'm made in Korea. (laughs) Right? You know what one of my friends told me? She became a Christian later in her life, but this is something so, so insightful. She said, you know, when when I graduated college, the church celebrated me. When I got married, the church celebrated me. When I had my kid, the church celebrated me. But when I received the righteousness of Christ and became a new creation, it was awkward. She said, the church did not celebrate me. I would love to say that everybody is happy that I got married, but but because we are self-righteous as Koreans... A lot of my community members are disappointed that I married a black person, a black woman. That's self-righteousness. And many of us would say, I'm not racist. But if your son or daughter brought home someone outside your race, you really find out what you believe. And don't get it twisted. Just because I married a black woman don't mean I'm not racist. (laughs) I'm still racist. Because I think Korean people are the best. See, the problem in this world is that we celebrate a righteousness that does not come from Christ. That was not earned by Christ, but earned by our people. But you know what the beauty of the, the, the gospel narrative and the biblical narrative is? This is like the, the, the heart of God, okay? Okay. I I I'm I'm coming I'm I'm deviating from a little bit but I just want you guys to understand this throughout the Old Testament and New Testament you know what God is doing He wants to create a new nation, a new people that he can look at and say my people. My people. And then they say back to him, my God. My God. That's the story of the Bible. God wants to create a new people in Christ that would say, that that, that he can look at and say, my people. And they would say, oh my God. And if you don't have that, you have no victory in Christ. It is a fraud. It is counterfeit. And you will devastate uh, denominations and doctri- over doctrinal issues and you would just pummel people because you're reformed and I'm, you're not and you're Arminian and you're Calvinist and we'll just do all these things to wreck each other because of our own righteousness and not the righteousness of God as we close today I know it's late but what does depending on God's righteousness look like um, we talked about it last night and, we, and I already alluded to this but guys, uh, to lay down our crowns, to lay down our accolades, to lay down our achievements, this is your struggle. This is my struggle. This is our everyday challenge, our everyday struggle. Because I'm going to presume, and I hope I can safely assume, that you have not murdered anyone. You probably have not raped anyone. You probably don't even have a DUI. And so, it's very easy for you to think that you don't need Jesus as much as someone else. It's very easy to believe that. I don't need Jesus as much as the adult porn star. I don't need Jesus as much as a drug dealer. I don't need Jesus as much as... One two three, but let me show you something. If you believe, let me say this again: it is impossible. It is impossible to love someone when you secretly believe they need Jesus more than you. It's impossible, and I mean that literally. This is not hyperbole. It is impossible to love someone, to love your neighbor as yourself when you believe he or she needs Jesus more than you do. It's impossible. I cannot love someone accordingly if I believe they need Jesus more than me. You know, we, we, we think like, oh, Jesus died for me and he bled for me, but I only needed like a, a pint. <laughs> you know, I don't need, like, a pint of his blood. But, you know, you needed a whole aquarium, <laughs> right? You needed a whole tank of that blood. But me, maybe a pint, quart, all right, gallon. <clears throat> Is that the truth? My friends, can you say with me this morning, as we depend on God's righteousness and not our own cuz i know you have a lot too but i am the worst sinner i know you know as paul advanced in this in this gospel as paul as paul surpassed one tier after another of his theological understanding and training you can see that the deeper he got in the gospel, the more he realized he was a sinner. Like when he first starts off writing the epistles, he starts off by saying, I don't even deserve to be an apostle, right? He's like, I'm the least of all the apostles. That's how he starts off chronologically in Ephesians. He's like, you know, I don't even deserve to be an apostle. It was that like Corinthians, I apologize. And then later on, he's like, I don't even deserve to be a, a Christian. Right? And then at the end of his life, while he's rotting in prison, you know what he says? In 1 Timothy 1, 12, you know what he says? I am the chief of all sinners. I am the foremost sinner. Guys, do you see the more and more he travels with God, the more and more he depends on his righteousness more, he looks away from his righteousness and looks to the righteousness of God, he is electrified. He is galvanized. He is amazed. That is the order of this gospel maturity. The way up is the way down, and the way down is the way up. Jesus says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. And those who exalt themselves will be humbled. When the the tax collector said, God have mercy on me, a sinner, at the front of the temple, there was a mercy seat, and animals were sacrificed there in place of people. Substitutionary atonement. Yes, Jesus died for your unrighteousness. Jesus also died for your self-righteousness. He did. He died for your self-righteousness. Every time Jesus obeyed the Father and yielded to him, it was done out of love. It was done from joy. Because we couldn't do that. When I tried to obey God without his spirit, it was always begrudging was always with bitterness and resent but Jesus never did that every time you obeyed the father it was done with the right heart and the right motivation Jesus died for your self-righteousness too let us bow our heads as we close this morning What is your greatest need this morning? It is not more money, it is not more status, it is not more of something than someone else. Your greatest need this morning is redemption of sins. Shame and guilt replaced with the righteousness and peace of Christ. My dear family and friends, what makes you beautiful to God is Jesus. What makes you beautiful to God is not your effort, it's not your assignment, it's not your achievements. What makes you beautiful to God is Jesus. God does not care how many books John Piper has written. God does not care how many sermons a preacher preaches. What makes us beautiful to God, right to God, is Jesus. When your heart condemns you, For it will. Remember, the only one who has that right, the right to condemn you, has forgiven and freed you for good. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God had no mercy on Christ. So he could have mercy on you this morning. Please take it. Please look away from yourself. Stop looking in the mirror. And look at the cross. Christianity is not a workout. It is not good advice. It is a new life. A new life. And Christ is your life. Thank you, God, for this morning. We ask that you would help us to believe. all we need is you that Jesus plus nothing equals everything but everything minus Jesus equals nothing help us to believe this oh Lord it's in your name we pray amen